Nothing can separate us from God. Hallelujah. Right? Boy, if we could sing that for hours and never tire. Well, it's my joy to open God's Word with you this morning. I, I must uh, say that probably some of you are surprised to see me up here. But you're no more surprised than I am, I can guarantee you. This is very unusual. Um, I want to make a promise to each of you. If I see your eyelids drooping or your heads dropping, I will pretend that you are praying for me. Is that a deal? <laughs> Is that a deal? So let's begin uh, with prayer. Oh, gracious and merciful Father, you are the object of our inexpressible delight. Your throne is an eternal throne, and we love you and we worship you because you are worthy to be worshipped, right? And Lord, I pray that everyone in this sanctuary will feel especially close to you this morning. I pray that your spirit will move in our midst in astonishing ways. Soften our hearts. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand. Lord, help me. Lord, prevent me from saying anything, even a syllable, that you don't want said. So, Lord, we dedicate this time to your glory. We exalt you. We love you. In the name of Jesus. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Well, uh, get out your, um, your bulletin. And there are two inserts there. Have them at the ready. Uh, get your sermon notes ready because I'm old school. No overheads, no projections, no special videos or multimedia. But I turn your attention to the sermon notes and you see within the box our purpose, our mission, and our emphasis. This is what we've been going over for the past number of weeks. And this morning we're going to focus entirely on the last emphasis, in all things, praising God and seeking His will through prayer. It's interesting that in Acts, the second chapter, verse 42, this point in the story is after Jesus' crucifixion and His ascension, and... Uh, the group waiting for the Holy Spirit, praying, and the Holy Spirit comes and the place is shaken. Peter gives his sermon. And now we have a glimpse of what is taking place in the first church of Jerusalem. And here it is, number verse 42. They were continually 
devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You see, the church, the early church, the New Testament church, was a worshiping church. It was a uh, learning church. And it was a praying church. Alistair Begg. Have you ever heard of Alistair Begg? Well, he's about the only thing that Cleveland has to recommend itself. (laughs) He says this about prayer. Nowhere does the devil work more arduously or successfully in the lives of many Christians than in prayer. Or, he says more correctly, in the lack of prayer. A thousand excuses, he says, can be found to ease the conscience from guilt for lack of prayer. Richard Sibbs, a theologian of many, many years ago, he writes, when we go to God in prayer, the devil knows we go to fetch strength against him, and he opposes us all he can. If Satan opposes our efforts to pray, then I think prayer must be way more important than we realize. Would you agree with me? Huh? Amen? Now, we've experienced barriers to prayer. I'd like this side to shout out various barriers to prayer that you've experienced. Sleepiness? Sleepiness? Busyness? Busyness? What? Distraction? Distraction. What? Stress. Stress. Now, this side. What? Okay. Shout it out. What? Ridicule. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Anyone else? Yes. Laundry. <laughs> well, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reasons that we don't pray. I made a list. It's too difficult. It's hard. It's too challenging. We're lazy. We're too busy. We're reticent to abandon ourselves to God's will. And I would submit, as far as I'm concerned, so often I fail to pray because I trust myself more than I trust God. Why should I go to Him? I've got it all. Right? So why should we pray? Would you excuse me? God commands it. In Colossians 4.2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And I would emphasize that that language in the Greek is in the emphatic. That's a command. That's not saying, well, you know, when you get around to it. When you have a spare microsecond in this internet digital world, then pray. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Daniel Henderson, who 
some of you remember, has spoken from this very pulpit a number of times. He said that prayerlessness, did you get that word? Prayerlessness, the lack of prayer. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. And therefore then, logically, prayerfulness is what? Our declaration of the dependence on God. Another reason why we should pray, God invites us to pray. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Another reason, God hears. In 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. So he hears. And God promises results. Did you know that? In James 5.16, the effective prayer of a righteous man or woman or boy or girl can accomplish much. So prayer gets results. And then one that uh, you may be surprised at, God promises, God promises adventure. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. And I can stand here and say my personal amen to that. It is an adventure. So then, what is prayer? Anybody, throw out a definition. I'm not going to challenge you. Come on, throw it out. What? Talking to God. Relationship. Good. So let's marry those two. Communication. Communication. Talking. Relationship. Let's marry those two. Because my simple definition is prayer is talking in relationship with God. But I'm simple-minded. Here is a very interesting and challenging and instructive definition that comes from a guy by the name of W. Bingham Hunter. Perhaps you've heard of him. He was professor and academic dean at Talbot Theology School and a Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And he says this about uh, prayer. From a biblical standpoint of view, prayer is related to everything that we are and everything that God is. God responds to us, to our whole life. What we say to him cannot be separated. Let me say that again. What we say to him cannot be separated from what we think, feel, and, oh boy, do. Prayer is communication from whole persons to the wholeness which is the living God. And then he concludes with this. Prayer is misunderstood 
until we see it this way. Isn't that interesting? R.C. Sproul says prayer is intimacy and relationship with God. And so, of course, Jesus had an intimate relationship with the Father, of course. And in Matthew 11, Jesus was talking about unrepentant cities. And as I read this, something sparked in my mind. And I could be corrected, but he's standing, addressing a group not unlike yourselves, and he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and you're not asking him any questions. He's not asking four questions. He, there's no one speaking to him or commenting on, yeah, it's just a one-way monologue. He's teaching, and then all of a sudden, in the flow of the Spirit, he says in Matthew eleven twenty-five, 25, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That's how seamless his relationship was with the Father. It was smooth. It was fluid. Everything he did was in the context of his Father, glorifying and doing his Father's will. Here we get a, a terrific, I think, glimpse of what it means to be that whole person, that your prayers that you offer cannot be snipped away from the choices you make and the life you live. Are you tracking with me? You understand? And so let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, uh, 16 through 18. And we're going to park here for a few minutes, but this is kind of our anchor verse for this message. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says, and I know that your eyes are already dancing across this verse, landing on certain words that have given you trouble for many years, like myself, until I started to study and pray about it. And so let me read. Rejoice. What's the next word? Always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know God's will for you? Well, part of it certainly is rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and everything give thanks. But I know that you're asking, how on earth am I to do that? Would I complicate things if I told you that that was in the command language, the imperative? This is a command. This is not an option. Rejoice always. How do you do that? Spurgeon, the great preacher of the Victorian period, put it this way, and this is beautiful. Because we're talking about intimacy with God, everything about that is intimate. 
that's in the flow of your relationship with God. You're rejoicing, you're praying, you're giving thanks, and so fluid and seamless. You're sensing God's presence, you're doing all of this, and Spurgeon, knowing that, puts it this way, when joy and prayer marry, gratitude is the firstborn child. Now that's intimacy. And I know you're saying, come on, Van Dyke, how on earth are we supposed to do this? Are we supposed to put on monk's robes and walk through the garden and through the monastery looking like we're praying and looking like we're super pious? Is that what he's talking about? Let me try to describe it this way. Take, let's pretend that Judy, my wife, Raise your hand, Judy. You're in the one, two, three, four, fifth row out there. You were usually in the fourth row. What's going on? The fifth row. Now let's pretend that Judy and I have a special arrangement. We only talk to each other from 7 in the morning to 7.30. That's it? No other talk. Now that would be weird, wouldn't it? That would be very unhealthy for our relationship. Now, let's pretend that Judy says to me, Brooks, come on, we need to... And I say, time out. Tomorrow, 7 o'clock. That's when we do this. <laughs> now, isn't that nuts? But many Christians do that. We like to compartmentalize. We like to label things. We like to schedule things. And if we're going to pray, we're going to do it only then. And then the rest of the day is mine. But that's not what the Word of God tells us here. We are to rejoice always. We are to sense His nearness always. To thank Him, to praise Him, and to pray to Him. Now, listen. I confess that I have a Judy complex. Judy, my, that would be my wife, sitting in the fifth row back there. You see, it started 61 years ago. Can you imagine that? 61 years ago in high school, I fell in love with Judy Swedberg. That was her name, maiden name. And I wanted to be with her, and I wanted to talk with her, and I wanted to do things. We wanted to go places. I wanted to go to the movies. We go to the dances. We wanted to share our lives together. That's what I wanted. We even passed notes in class, in algebra class, back and forth, back and forth. And I confess I didn't learn much algebra that year. <laughs> and so I still have a Judy complex. I was always conscious of her. Those of you who are romantically in love right now, do you understand what I'm talking about? You're conscious. Good, Dave. That was great. You're conscious of each other, even though you're apart. You move in relationship to her or him, okay? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to talk about. And so I propose to all of you that we allow a God consciousness, 
a, not a duty consciousness, a God consciousness to flower and bloom in our lives. Are you willing to do that? I mean, it's an ongoing consciousness that God loves us and is present, actually present with us. R.C. Sproul, another final quote, we are to be in a state of constant communion with our Heavenly Father. And it's only through His grace that we can do that. Do I hear an amen? We pray for that grace. And I can tell you that prayer nurtures that kind of closeness. Do you understand that? Mark it down. If you're not writing it down, prayer nurtures closeness with God. Of course, reading the Bible does too. But of course, if you're in that flow, if you're in that relationship, it's all part of the same continuum, the same fabric, right? Dr. Constable of Dallas Seminary writes, and excuse me again, he says, if we live in this way, this consciousness, if we live in this way, conscious continually of our dependence on God, conscious of his presence with us always, conscious of his will to bless, then our general spirit of prayerfulness will in the most natural way overflow into uttered prayer. It is instructive to read, he says, read again and again in Paul's letters the many prayers that he interjects. Prayer to Paul was as natural as breathing. Well, over the years I have learned eight things about prayer. There, you could make a whole list, but I've tried to boil some things down. And so you don't have to write these down, but let me just go over them as by way of a testimony of how prayer has worked in my life. Number one, not, when I don't feel like praying, that's when I need to pray, immediately. Number two, praying nurtures and deepens my relationship with God, and it can with you. Praying, and I know you find this hard to believe, but praying is not all about me. How many times I'll pray with folks and, oh, let's pray, and then they start dumping their bucket of needs. It's not all. Those are good. We need to pray about those, absolutely. But we need to praise God and worship Him first. Praying is a two-way communication. You say, read the Word. And, and, my, and I vote personally, and this is only my preference, to read slowly. I know we're urged to race through the Bible in a year. My preference is to read slowly and let the words permeate and chew on them. And I guarantee you, you will find something to pray about as you read the Word. And the Word, after all, is God's Word to us. So that communication begins with the Word. And then prayerfully meditate. And then pray, perhaps, that verse into someone's life. They might need healing. 
whatever, a job, whatever. Pray that verse into that, that person that you're concerned about. Number five, never resist the impulse to pray. Never resist that impulse. I found, I've prayed, the, the Holy Spirit has brought someone or something in mind that's completely out of left field. Totally. But I'll pray about that person. And then, weeks later, I find out at that very moment they were struggling. Have you ever had that kind of experience? Sort of? Maybe, sort of? Never resist the impulse to pray. Number six, praying changed the wickedness and hardness of Brooks Van Dyke's heart and yours as well. Number seven, praying puts my heart in the proper frame of mind to actually, actually desire to obey God's word. And then finally, eight, praying and praising cannot be separated. Oh, yeah, we can intellectually label the two. I just did. But you can't separate them. It's like talking about breathing and trying to separate in inhaling and exhaling. They're a part of the same deal, the same process. And praying and praising. How can you praise without praying? And how can you pray without praising? There are they're just cemented together. And since we're talking about praise, let's go there. Because my job this morning in Pastor Pat's absence is to talk about prayer and praise. So let's turn now to praise. And have you ever noticed that our culture seems to need something to praise? There are the Oscars, the Emmys, the Espies, the Cleos, the Tonys, all kinds of awards where it's an occasion to actually praise people and praise their work. Well, yeah, we, we, are, we are praise-making machines, if, if we would understand ourselves correctly. I mean, let's face it, lovers praise the one they love, right? We, we praise, oh, we praise the Kansas City Chiefs. Unless you're a 49ers fan. Yeah, we want to praise. We praise cars and musicians and bands and the, the cuteness of babies. I think of Sean and Lacey's baby that I saw here this morning. The cuteness of babies, the beauty of girls, and the, and the hunkiness of guys. Well, like me, you know, like me. You know, we praise anything that we admire and appreciate, don't we? Take desserts, chocolate. That's a gift from God. Do I hear an amen? I maintain that you can enhance any food by e either adding chocolate or bacon. Bacon. Hey, wait a minute. Bacon dipped in chocolate. <laughs> huh? Phil, are we together? You betcha. You betcha. We're all over that one. Now take my wife, that would be Judy in the fifth row back there. Take her chicken continental. 
chicken continental. She's been coerced, threatened even, for that recipe because it is so good. That chicken continental is so good. If you, Tom, if you put her chicken continental on top of your head, your tongue would beat your brain silly trying to get at it. It's that good. And so whenever Judy prepares a meal, it's just not complete without praising her and praising it. Uh, Isaiah 43, 21 says, the people whom I form for myself will declare my praise. And then there is Philippians 4, 4. Here it is in command language again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. rejoice. Did you know that there are over 230 specific admonitions in Scripture to praise Him? That is more than any other admonition in the entire Bible. Uh, so we need to praise God way, way more than we do. I do. So what is praise? So let me give you some simple ways to think about praise. Uh, take out that blue sheet that was included in your, uh, in your bulletin. And on the side that is pretty much blank, flip the blue sheet over and write this down. We praise what we prize. We praise what we prize. If God is not prized, then he ain't going to be praised. You agree? We must prize God. Every experience of life Every experience of life has a nugget, a kernel, a facet that's praiseworthy. You say, well, Van Dyke, you know, you, I'm in the very depths of depression. I, I've, my life is just going into the tank. I can't praise. I guarantee you that there is a praiseworthy component to be found even in your worst possible situation. Uh, in the hymnal, and you don't have to turn there, and certainly don't, wor don't worry, I'm not going to sing. But in the hymnal, in number 788, is a hymn written by a man by the name of Martin Rinkert. I know the good doctor, and Steve Zeven has knows about Mark Martin Rinkert. But if you want to talk to me about not being able to praise him in all things. Think of Martin Rinkert, a German pastor in the town of Eilenburg, Germany in the 17th century. Now here he is, right in the middle of the 30 years war in Europe, and it was the bloodiest, deadliest religious war on, in Europe ever. And 
he's trying to minister and refugees are coming into his city to escape the war and the ministers were just totally overtaxed. And to make matters worse, in the 20th year of the 30 years war, the plague breaks out. The black plague. Black death. Ministers evacuate the city, trying to stay away from the plague. But Martin Rinkert stays, stayed with his wife and his family. And he ministered 50 funerals a day on average during the Black Plague, the worst part of the Black Plague. It got so bad, and some of you sensitive people might want to plug your ears, but it got so bad that corpses were just dumped into trenches without a single, without an individual funeral service. And it's against this backdrop, this stinking death devastation that Martin Rinkert wrote, Now thank we all our God. And I'm going to read just the first stanza. Consider it a poem. Wow. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Out of the worst possible conditions can flower praise. You believe that? Say amen, if you believe it. So let me give you an easy-peasy way to understand praise and to praise God. It's still on that back cover of that sheet. I mean, the blank, the blank blue sheet. Number one, praise him for who he is and praise him for what he has done. What could be easier? Huh? Who God is. That's what's on the opposite side of that blue sheet. All of his attributes. I challenge you to just pick one, two, maybe three of those attributes that you need him for today. Just identify those. Maybe not right now, but you can later. Write them down. Go to the verses, the references. Pray through those verses. And then list, uh, down lower on the, play, the page, what he has done. And what I listed on mine, first and foremost, was that what he had done for me was to give his only begotten son. That whoever, whoever, old or young, rich or poor, whoever believes in him would never perish, but have eternal life. As many as, well, he gave all of us the opportunity to be adopted into his family. That is my numero uno. You see, God poured out his holy wrath on his sweet son, and he had Brooks Van Dyke in mind when he did it. 
and that is incomprehensible to me, but it's true. Let me conclude by telling you that praying and praising are powerful. And how so, you may ask. Look, real simple. Brooks Van Dyke is totally self-centered. And praising and praying to him rips away a lot of my self-centeredness. It just tears it away. When I read scripture and meditate and pray and read scripture and meditate and praise him, and when I prize him, that self-centeredness tends to evaporate or fall away. And so, through it all, I have learned how amazing God is and how, well, ordinary I am. How holy God is. And how sinful I am. I've learned through prayer and praise and worship how majestic our God is and how utterly shabby I am. So to see God more clearly with this, uh, this 2020 vision that Pastor Pat has been talking about, that is our prayerful objective, is it not? To pray, to see God more clearly, to give our lives totally to him. And if there is anyone here who is kind of iffy whether he or she has accepted Jesus, then at the end of our service, please come and see me or someone near you. Because your life, you have no idea the adventure awaits you. And so a challenge to all of you. Prize and Praise God in prayer today. Amen? Amen. God bless you.